Welcome to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Pokolsky. I have the incredible privilege to bring you this amazing man today who's, in my opinion, made one of the greatest impacts in the entire fitness industry, maybe ever, certainly in the last 15 years. The name John Berardi is synonymous with excellence in nutrition. John is one of the co-founders of Precision Nutrition. And today we're going to discuss his book, Changemaker. And although it seems many people are writing books these days, John's is certainly one of the most impactful that I've come across in a very long time. Every single chapter, every single word is very, very intelligently curated, just as you'll find today in this podcast. John is a wizard with words, extremely focused, extremely well thought out. And every word in his book is useful and impactful and gives you action items to change your life, ultimately create your greatest life, giving you the exact roadmap if you'll just do exactly what's mapped out in his book. And today in our podcast, John is going to walk through a small percentage of what's in his book and really talk a lot about what inspired him to create Precision Nutrition, some of the obstacles he faced along the way, and what inspired him to write this book in such a unique way. This is one of the most unique books I've ever read. It's almost like a workbook for your greatest life. Every single chapter, as I said, has massive amounts of value. And as John clearly explains at the end of the podcast, he doesn't suggest reading the book and doing it like a workbook right away. He suggests reading it once all the way through because what might happen is you might get stuck on one part, as he'll explain to you at the end of the podcast. I suggest you listen all the way through. I know you're going to want to listen all the way through. I suggest you get a pen, you get a paper, and you listen to this on normal speed. Don't speed this up because there's a lot of amazing nuggets in this podcast that if you miss it, you may miss an opportunity. But I definitely suggest you go get John's book, Change Maker. Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Blocks, my favorite blue blocking glasses. As I speak about often, um, these amazing glasses are based in Perth, Australia. You know, guys, I love Perth, Australia. It's one of my favorite countries in the world. And I was so lucky to connect with Andy Mant and the team at Blue Blocks and literally wear their glasses all the time. If you see me wearing glasses on social media, that's what I'm wearing. And they're absolutely my favorite when I'm sitting in front of a computer like I am right now. When I'm watching television or at a screen late at night, I will inevitably have a pair of blue blockers on, uh, specifically blue blocks. And as I've said before, my favorites are Smith and Hudson as far as the design. I like to wear the blues during or the clears during the day, uh, and then I wear the reds in the evening. Phenomenal style, phenomenal quality. I think one of the issues with the blue blocking community right now is you can find blue blockers with air quotes for $7 on Amazon. And effectively, you're getting you know a pair of $2 frames with lenses that do absolutely nothing. So if you actually want to have blue blockers that work, that look stylish, that don't make you look a bit odd and <laughs> weird, these are amazing, amazing glasses and at an amazing value. Blue blockers, Blue Box is going to hook you guys up with 15% off. If you go to blueblocks.com slash muscle intelligence and use the code muscle, you'll be hooked up with 15% off. Blue Blocks is spelled B-L-U-B-L-O-X. I highly suggest you guys take advantage of this offer before it disappears. And now on to the podcast with John Berardi. Enjoy.
so John, as I was saying earlier, or I think I text you, your book is literally maybe the best fitness book that I've ever read. Uh, maybe in business, I shouldn't just categorize the fitness, fitness, business, life optimization. You just went down so many amazing paths to give people actionable steps to create my terminology, their greatest life. And I absolutely loved it. I think I told you about 10. I gave them to all my staff and all my team. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. So thank you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate the kind words. I mean, they, they especially are meaningful when they come from uh, colleagues and peers who have had success in their own right, you know, because I think the first inclination, especially with a book like this, is for really successful people to be like, yeah, I probably know already everything that he's going to teach in here. So I probably don't have to read it or maybe I'll give it a skim because he's my friend and, you know, that's a respectful thing to do. So when folks like you come back and they're like, this is actually legit, (laughs) like I got some things out of it. it. It means a lot to me. What I mean, I'm, I'm always curious what landed hardest or the most for you, do you think from the Relevant to my current scenario in life, the chapter in business for me was so super useful because, you know, everything you spoke about was literally the the, the growing pains that I go, I'm going through now. Is you going from this person who you know I'm, I'm maybe best known for creating content and, and doing writing and doing videos, and now I'm becoming a manager and I'm becoming a you know a business owner, and then I'm learning how to create systems, and then I'm learning how to be you know to manage all these teams. And I'm like, man, I'm not really good at some of these things. I know that I'm a terrible manager. <laughs> And uh, I think you said that same experience, like you tried to be a manager, you're like, I just don't like this. I don't, wasn't enjoying it anymore. And, you know, I intentionally kind of hide from it. And I tell my team, like, I will not manage you. I will not be able to be a micromanager. I just need to give you an objective and a target and, and let you go. And sometimes people need to be managed. And that was maybe my greatest, only because it's most relevant to me right now in my business as we go through some growing pains. And as you grow to a certain level, you're like, okay, I need to bring on managers now. And finding those people has been a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I, that continues to be a subject of great interest to me because it really speaks to a larger principle, which I think is kind of synonymous with what you mentioned earlier around lifestyle design. Business is a thing you get to design too. I mean, the best ones are the ones that are actually designed for and around the unique abilities of the people, right? So the idea that, oh, and if you don't come from a business background, I, I didn't, you didn't, you don't quite get this. You don't quite know it, right? It's kind of like, oh, all right, I have to go learn the business formula and then bend myself into it, you know, and it doesn't work that way for life. It doesn't work that way for relationships. It doesn't work that way for parenting children. It doesn't work that way in the gym. So why would it work that way here, you know? I still haven't learned that yet. So I need you to teach me that. <laughs> to be honest, like I'm spending, you know, 50% of my time, the time that I devote to learning, 50% is, is really devoted to, I need to be become really, really good at this body and mind integration. And, and 50% of it is I need to understand how to un- write copy, how to be a better marketer, how to run a business, how to do accounting. <laughs> I'm really wearing all the hats. And maybe it's just my neurotic, uh, obsessive personality. But, you know, I feel like I have to have a good idea on how to do all of these things. And I'm still fighting with this battle. So I need you to teach me. (laughs) Right. Uh, I don't know that I've got it figured out in any way, shape or form. But what I do think I've pretty I've gotten good at is porting the important lessons from one area of life to the other. And this particular one, which is that begins with who am I? And then, okay, cool. So 
what are my strengths? What are my limitations as a human, as a manager, as you know, all the roles that I have to show up for in the world? And then, okay, cool. Let me let me walk forward with a very sober understanding of that. And then let me build around that. Right. And that's, I mean, I write about it in the book. The worst period of my career was when I was doing lots of quote unquote professional development. And all those sources told me what I had to become to be successful in the next stage of my life. And as I was attempting to become that, I was leaving behind all the things that made me special. And it made me depressed. It made me want to get out. It made me, I mean, there was a point where I was thinking of just giving away my shares of precision nutrition to get out of it. I'm happy, really happy now that I didn't at the time, because when we ended up selling the company, I made a lot of money. But, you know, it was really a departure from something that I was lucky enough to discover when I was a late teenager in my early 20s, just a deep sense of self, who I am what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, what I should be spending my time on and really staying true to that. And so I don't know, I, th this is the thing I, I try and teach. And again, in the book, and when I work with uh, people one-on-one, -on -one, how can I get them closer to a real deep resonant sense of this is who I am. This is what I can bring to the table. Okay. Now I need to like hire or borrow or whatever around that to get the other things accomplished. Because again, you get to this life, you know, this life, whether it's professionally or your personal life, you get to make it, you know, and that's the beautiful part of it. So don't copy someone else's, make it yours all the way through authentically, you know, and, and uh, it, it does bring up an interesting tension though, because you have to learn, right? Like you, yesterday, you weren't as good as you are today and tomorrow you'll be better than you are today. So it's this dance between learning the things that you don't know yet and building new skills while still staying rooted in who you are. And, you know, for anyone listening, I apologize if it's starting to feel very philosophical or esoteric. But again, in the book, there's like concrete exercises where you use your own insights plus the triangulated insights of all the important people in your life to come to some very concrete statements about this is who I am. These are my unique abilities. These are my values. This is my purpose. And then you just got to post it up so you can look at it every single day. And so when you do professional development or personal development, you still see who you are because it's easy to forget. I have to be reminded every single day because life can get busy and distracting and new information can fly at you. And sometimes you're sitting in the middle of it all going, wait, what was, what was the priority again? What was the purpose again? What was important again? And even someone like me who's done all this work, I still can get mired in it. So I love being able to look up the wall next to me here and go, oh, that's right. I already, in a moment of sober clarity, uh, recorded this. And now I can touch back on it when I need to. Can you tell us how you found that? Because I think uh, you, know, you said it was late, late teens, early 20s. I don't think that's very common for people to start to identify or even have an awareness that they need to identify who they are at their core. And you know, I know some people, and probably myself included, don't have massive clarity on who am I and what am I really good at? I think at my core, I know, but I've never actually taken the time to spell it out and put it on my wall. And I think literally that's the next thing I'm going to do, I mean, as far as life projects, uh, is, is get super clear on what am I really good at? What am I delivering to this world? And what's my purpose and my passion? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was 
it was born out of, I don't know, some like a culminating moment in my life where, you know, in, in high school, I was uh, drunk and high all the time. And I hung out with the proverbial quote unquote wrong crowd. And, you know, I was a terrible student. And, you know, sh- shortly after high school, I got into a really bad car crash, which I write about in the book. And that was sort of the seminal moment for me. I had a very kind of cinematic experience where the car was, you know, spiraling across a road and shooting off an embankment. And in that few seconds, I I did see all the cliches, like life, my life flashed before my eyes. It was literally like, like still photography scenes strung together of my childhood all, all the way up until that moment. And then the last scene was me being lowered into the grave with my parents looming kind of overhead. And I, I just remember the look on their faces even today, even though this was many years ago, just grieving and ashamed, you know? And so really that was the moment where I was like, what am I doing with my life? I need to stop, you know, I need to do something different. And the next kind of two years were very, very lonely because I, in the cinematic telling of this story, you know, this is just the origin story for the great things to come. But when you're actually living it and you decide to stop hanging out with all the people that you hang out with and you decide to stop using all the things that you use to cope with pain or struggle or trauma or feelings in your life, you're sitting there with no coping mechanisms and no social support. And so that two years was a period of very deep discovery for me. I was alone. It's, it's when I first found the gym and I started reading, reading like crazy. It's also when I found a mentor in the gym also who was super smart guy, successful professionally, super well-read himself. So he took me under his wing and he was like, hey, listen, you're a smart guy, but you weren't making good choices. Gave me a job at the gym, trained me physically. He was a competitive bodybuilder at a high level. And then every day I would leave the gym, you know, sore and broken from, you know, the heavy bar. And then he'd give me books to read. So he'd be like, come back on Wednesday, we're going to do leg day. And I want you to have read this book. And that's really where I really started to develop this sense of who I am, because there was no one around to distract me from that for a good couple of years. It was just work, you know, like work in the gym, work on my mind. And he made me promise him I would go to university or go to community college to get my grades up to eventually one day go to university. And that was really like, you know, the send off for me. So I, I mean, again, it was kind of a very interesting period of time where I had a window to do this. It seems so atypical that someone in their late teens would have the awareness to remove them and maybe the self-confidence or maybe it was pain. You can tell us to remove themselves from all of their comforts, all of their their friends, all the things that they knew, and maybe even your identity. What was going through your head? Do you remember? Yeah, I just I just remember like because so we we ended up crashing that car and this thing happened and and you know in my mind the shift and then for me when the we we ended up being you know relatively okay i thought we were all dead based on where the area was i was sure we were going to plow into this forest and you know total the car on some trees but we ended we ended up not doing that but so the car lands we get out of the car for me i'm like whoa my, you know my life just changed and my friends were like hey man my dad's going to kill me we got to get this car back on the road 
So I helped them get the car back on the road and they got arrested that night. And for me, I did, I walked home from there. And so, yeah, I just, it just stuck with me. Like, you know, it was almost like, um, David Epstein in his new book, uh, range talks about like wicked versus kind learning environments, wicked learning environments or learning environments where like, you don't know the rules or the rules are changing all the time and feedback isn't immediate. Well, this is like the most kind learning because I had a traumatic event occur and then I got immediate feedback. Like if I would have stayed with the guys, like actually and physically, I would have been arrested this night and it would have been the third time I was arrested you know, by 17, but I didn't, I went down this other path. So it was almost like a really kind learning experience where I got immediate feedback for that decision. And then I was like, okay, cool. All right. This is the right move right here, you know? And then, and then again, I luckily just found this mentor. And so that sort of eased the pain of this big shift, but it also gave me something very productive to do. And I think that's a really seminal lesson. Like when you're moving away from something old and possibly towards something new that you're not quite sure of, it's great to be busy. You're busy doing something, you know, rather than sitting and brooding. And so I, it, I mean, for me, you know, knowing what I know about human psychology, I'm like the, I didn't engineer any of this. This was all a happy accident. The universe, whatever you want to call it, put before me, the exact right conditions to go from there to here. And so forever feel grateful for it. Again, I'm just, my brain's just wrapping around. So there's a lot of people out there right now looking to change, looking to make a shift. And I know you're not an expert in this stuff, but you give such amazing perspective on these situations in the book that I'd love to just explore. Maybe you're your thought or your advice to people who are sitting in situations where they know they want to change, or maybe they've already uh, experienced a change, but they're still not quite as deep into making the shift into their new, um, into their new life, into the new um, value system that they're going to uphold. Any thoughts and advice on, on that for people living there? Yeah. I mean, you know, as you know, in the career chapter of the book, you know, which it could be called, you know, figuring out your life chapter of the book. I'm a systematic thinker. So when I want to go about something, I, I really want to unpack what the the stepwise approach to achieving it might look like. And that's why, you know, again, this this actually happened for me where I found all these things that helped me. And this was like in my precision nutrition career, figure out my origin story, my purpose, my unique abilities, you know, so this story that I just shared was actually the beginning of my origin story. You know, the, if, if this was a Marvel comic, it'd probably be quite boring, but, um, you know, the idea, like what radioactive spider bit me and gave me this superpower that I have now. And I mean, it's this, it was this car crash. It was then finding this mentor and this mentor being someone at the gym. I mean, you know, why I'm a smart guy and I have a PhD and I'm reasonably accomplished. I can figure things out well. I can make good decisions. Like, why did I choose to spend my whole career in fitness then? Um, And the answer is this, this is the origin story. It, it changed my life. It saved my life. You know, I found a mentor in that physical space. So I'm like, yeah, who knows, you know, why we do the things that we do, but this feels like the, the right answer for me. You know, I, it, I learned confidence. I learned to build strength. I learned to build discipline and resiliency, you know, all in the health and fitness space, all 
through, you know, weightlifting and bodybuilding competition and stuff like that. So it was just like, okay, cool. This, this makes sense. So for me, that's the beginning, right? So for folks who want to change, the beginning is where, where do you come from? You know, and, and, and we work on this origin story and I outline the most common ones for most people. You know, it's, it's like, like mine, I was going down a wrong path and this something changed or something discovered me or helped me. The other stories are like, hey, I, I was around this since I was little. It's how I connected with friends and family. It's how my social support came. And so I decided to do that for a career. So I, I help people with some templated ones. But the idea is there, there's probably more and you have to discover this for yourself. Where am I coming from? And the next is that sort of enlivens your purpose, right? Like, what am I here to do? And I think getting specific is so critical. As I talk about in the book, you know, saying I'm here to help people is way too vague. I mean, there, uh, you can help people as a paramedic, as a physician, in the military, in health and fitness, through counseling and social work. So saying that isn't good enough, you know, it's how are you going to help people and how will you know that they've been helped, you know? So we have a series of questions that I walk people through, you know, to really figure out your purpose. Who am I? What am I supposed to be doing here? Why am I doing it? How will I know it's been effective? And for all the things we're about to talk about, so origin story, purpose, unique abilities and value systems, you're not going to figure them out alone, you know, so sitting alone with your notepad in your office is a start, but it's not how you're going to get the clearest answers. The clearest answers come in the interface between you and other people. So you need to ask them these questions as well. So fill them out yourself and then you ask others, you know, the people closest to you, your work colleagues, your friends, your family, the people who know you best. And so we go then from origin story to purpose. And then that's when we delve into my favorite topic, which is unique abilities, you know, and as, and I define them as uh, number one, the things that you are or have the ability to be world-class at Uh, number two, among those, the things that you enjoy and you can see yourself just wanting to be better at and learn more about for the rest of your career. And then three is among those things, it's the things that move the needle that make the difference, right? So if it's, if we're talking about how to define your unique abilities in your profession, in your business, it's, okay, what things am I, or can I be world-class at? What things do I love and want to do more of always? And then what things among those actually help the business grow? And whatever the metrics are, whether it's, you know, reach, whether it's impact, whether it's financial, you know, the things that make that difference. And so again, triangulating the information from friends and family and colleagues. What do you rely on me for? What do you count on me for? What makes me tick? What makes me special? And really figuring that out with the lens of others. And generally it only takes five between, usually I've found five to 10 people in your inner circle answering these for a really clear picture of your unique abilities to emerge. And unique abilities are the way you're going to execute your purpose, right? And then the last part is the values, right? It's what boundaries or guardrails do you have set up so you can make sure that you are living your purpose using your unique abilities. You can look at values two ways, preventing you from doing things that wouldn't make you proud of yourself. But the other is uh, preventing you from doing too much, of the fun stuff, which in often is the case when you're using your unique abilities and your purpose work, 
right? So it's, what are my guardrails around this? What are my top three things in life? You know, for me, it's long been the professional projects I'm working on, my own self-care and my family. So those are the top three things. Those the things having to do with those are important. They get a yes and everything else gets a no. So again, you know, there's loads of exercises in the book for you and, and those close to you to actually do them, to do the work on. And then instructions for how to distill that down into a one pager you can stick on your wall and look at every day to be reminded. And so that, that was just, I mean, that's a multi-year process for me, finding nuggets from different speakers, from different books, from different professionals and mentors and going, how do I, okay, cool. You know, like, so Dan Sullivan, um, and I'm sure you're familiar with his program, loads of our colleagues in common have gone through it. He's the one who I learned unique abilities from. But I was like, yeah, but that's not enough. There needs to be some scaffolding around it for values and for a purpose and, you know, from where you were at one point in your life and that origin story. So really this, this whole kind of system, if you will, is how I've gotten to this kind of deep clarity around what I should be spending my time on, who I am, how am I going to make decisions? And when you're going through it, sometimes I will readily admit it feels like philosophical. You're like, I need to make the next few dollars. How is this going to help? And the answer is, once you have this, it maps down to every minute of decision-making. You wake up in the morning, your inbox is full of requests, options, opportunities, and problems. And you go, all right, how will I ever weed through this in a non-emotional way? And my answer is, well, you're going to rely on the mentorship of your best self. You know, I know a lot of people today are looking for external mentors. And I always say, when you do exercises like this, you get the best most personal mentorship of all, internal mentorship from your most clear thinking self, right? And you may only be able to channel that once a month at first, or eventually, for me, it became once a week. I had half a day every Friday to get advice from my internal mentor. And then write that down so I don't forget it, so that when next Tuesday comes around and the inbox is full and there's you know tons of DMs on Instagram and Facebook and just a flood of options and opportunities and problems, I can go, oh yeah, my best, my best self already decided how to handle all this. I have a system, you know? Yeah. There's so much value in this book. I mean, what you just described right there is, is a brief summary of chapter two, basically one chapter of the chapter titled career. And you walk through all of these aspects, the purpose, the unique abilities, the values in detail, not only in theory, but in how to apply them. And I think that in and of itself, if someone spent, you know, a couple hours diving into that, it would be so life-changing. And I think one of the realities of the world we live in now, John, is, is this distracted world where it's so easy to have so many things pulling us in so many different directions. So for anybody listening who's asking where the supply is, like you say, you know, I just want to make my next few dollars. This, this idea of having a compass, this idea of having a, an objective or like knowing, you know, which direction to take is maybe the most important thing to have 
to achieve success, right? Because most people are busy seeing, you know, three inches in front of their nose because they're so focused on that one thing that's right next and, and not seeing the forest for the trees. And this is where most people live. They live this reactive life, seeing three feet or three inches in front of their nose and never get the chance to actually capitalize on their greatest essence, on who they are at their core and what they're, as you described so beautifully in the book, you know, what their, their values and purpose and abilities are. And I, mean, I think, potentially the greatest description of it I've ever come across oh, uh, for anyone looking to, man, it's, it's just truly amazing. And the fact that you give us these, you know, effectively worksheets to walk through and questions to answer and then an exact process just makes this mm-hmm. just incredible. Yeah. Not and, just chapter. Uh, yeah. Thanks, man. And, and, you know, the really, for me, the depth of it really comes in this idea that uh, let's use health and fitness as an example, but it could be any field of entrepreneurship or coaching or whatever. What people end up taking their bearings by is generally what other people are doing, right? So they look around and they see, and it's not even what other people are doing. It's what they think other people are doing based on the emails they send out, the posts they make on social media, and rumors they hear from people who may know them to some degree or not. So. What we're actually doing is then we're copying like a poor facsimile of what we think other people are doing. And I can't imagine a worse way to end up in a place of career fulfillment, right? So you're like, I'm not copying what I, well, I'm not innovating what I think I should be doing. I'm not even copying people who may have the same unique abilities as me. I'm just copying who's getting the most attention, right? So let's say, that, you know, despite this glaring weakness of your approach from the beginning, you do a good enough job to copy them well enough to have a successful business. Then you're sitting there at the end of this success without any resonance between who you are and what you achieve, without a lot of pride. You know, maybe you can look at your bank finance statement every day, and then maybe that'll give you a little shot of bolstering boost of energy because you know you made the money, but you're going to have to do that every day because there's no deep resonance with who you are and what you should have been doing, you know? So it really even comes down to this, you know, it helps us step out of this thing that just too many people are doing, which is just copying who's doing well, who's had big success. Okay. Let me copy them. And, And you don't have to spend more than two minutes on the internet each day to see that happening everywhere. Someone has a great Instagram account. And then everyone just starts aping that, you know, and a great example is, you know, a close friend of mine who's got a great business called me not too long ago and asked me, you know, if I could help coach him on how to create a content machine like Precision Nutrition has. And so for those who don't know, you know, Precision Nutrition is like the world's leader in nutrition coaching and education for education for health and fitness pros and around food, nutrition, and, and that sort of a thing. And over the years, we built a content engine, you know, and, you know, to the, to the tune of getting, you know, two, three million visitors to our articles and infographics and uh, animated videos per month. So, uh, you know, none of this to brag, it's just arguably we built a great content engine. <laughs> so this guy was like, how do I build that in my business? In other words, I see that Precision Nutrition grew by doing free articles, infographics, and animated videos, I'd like to copy it in my business so we can grow similarly. And so I was like, hey, man, 
that was my favorite part of building that business. I, I was the editor in chief of PN for many years and the director of marketing. So content is just my jam. It's, it's what I still love doing more than anything else. So I could teach you how to make a content engine, but here's the problem. When I look at your business and all the people in it, there's no one in there who's doing content already just for fun. I mean, you, you probably remember Ben, uh, muscle media 2000 when it was a print mag, right? Of course. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, that was, you know, between that and flex and muscle and fitness, those were the three magazines I subscribed to when I was a late teenager. When I was in my late teens and early twenties, I would sit in the desk on the desk in my parent, in the bedroom of my parents' house that I lived in. Right. And I would write like mock articles for muscle media 2000. Like, why was I doing that? It's just because I couldn't help myself. I could not do it. You know, it was, uh, there's a saying, ride the horses in the direction that they're going. That was the direction they were going for me. You know, I loved writing. I would just write articles that I knew would never get published because I didn't have any skill or authority or expertise, but I was writing articles before anyone would have paid me for them. So it's a natural outcropping of who I am to do content in the way that Precision Nutrition did content. But when I looked at his business, I was like, there's not a single person who wants to sit down and write like this. I can see it. You, like they're doing videos, they're doing podcasting. I'm like, so what you need to do, if you want to hear my thoughts on this, is to find a way to do the things you're already normally doing that you would not, you would do for no pay already to the level that Precision Nutrition was doing. Not the same thing that Precision Nutrition was doing. And again, you can only figure this out by spending some time in origin story, purpose, unique abilities, and values so that you can say, oh, yeah, 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 this is who I am. I'm going to lean way into that and I'm going to make that world class rather than just try and model what someone else naturally does and have the tendency to be world class at already, if that makes sense. Of course, absolutely. And people, like you say, are not looking at their own unique strengths. They're they're modeling and it's literally our industry. And you see it now exploding with everyone who's becoming a fitness coach, right? Everyone's teaching people, not necessarily a fitness coach to help people transform, but a business coach trying to help people build online businesses or build training businesses. And just like, well, how many training businesses have you built? <laughs> the irony of it, right? Everyone's, everyone's an expert because they're just modeling everyone else's business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, uh, Ray Dalio has this great quote and, uh, I don't know if you know the story, but the, the book Principles, which was just a huge phenomenon, I think it was 2018, Amazon's book of the year. And, yeah, amazing. Uh, for those who don't know Ray, Ray's a billionaire hedge fund manager. Many people have called him the most successful investor hedge fund guy of all time. And he's actually a really close personal friend of Phil's. And the way that that book actually happened was Phil and I had discovered Ray's earliest version of principles, which was a PDF that he had written unedited as like a company manifesto. It was just shared on the Bridgewater website as a PDF for staff. And when Phil and I read it, we're like, man, this guy's smart. <laughs> like he, like he understands how to make peace with reality and make decisions and what a clear thinker. So Phil made it his personal mission, because we're, again, we're good at content at PN, to turn it into a book. 
And he, he just, he basically got the PDF, had it edited by professional editors, hired one of the best book designers in the world. And he made two copies. He made one for himself and he made one for Ray. And he sent it to, he, you know, after months of you know, trying to figure out a pathway to, you know, Ray, who's obviously and necessarily difficult to get a hold of, he got the book to him. And then shortly thereafter, Ray called him and Phil and his wife were in Italy. And Ray was like, I love what you did with this book. I need to meet you. So he, he sent a private jet to Rome to pick up Phil and Nat, back to Connecticut. And he said, I, I want to do this. I want to make a book out of this like what you did. So Phil was actually a key player in helping create that book. So this is not me name dropping, oh, my, you know, Ray, but just to say, hey, we have this relationship through this interesting process that happened. And anyway, Ray talks about this. And this is one of the most valuable things I've taken from him, this concept of believability. So we have to apply it every day of our lives, but it particularly works in this scenario you just brought up. So someone proposing to coach you on business. Okay. So the first question is, is this person believable? How will I know? And believability, according to Ray, is the idea that number one, this person has done the thing you want to do successfully already. So this is just the first hurdle. If they haven't, then they're not believable. Their advice could be good, actually, but they're not believable, right? You have to weight their advice low. The second criteria is, okay, so they've done it once. Have they done it multiple times in different scenarios? So if it were the investment world, it's not, have you made a lot of money for yourself or for some investors? It's, have you done it under all kinds of economic conditions? How did your uh, plan go during an economic downturn? How did it go when things were cruising and doing well? How did it go when securities versus equities had different ratios? So the idea is under different conditions, have you done it successfully? And then the third thing, and this is the personalization piece, it's does it make sense? Not only like do you intellectually get it, because if you don't, then the system is completely irrelevant for you. If you don't get it, then you'll never be able to apply it. But also, does it make sense for you, like who you are, the business that you want to have? So this is just a thing that when I learned it from Ray, I'm like, oh, gosh, this is gold. Like, I'm going to apply it to everything moving forward. It's not, does that person have a strong force of will that makes me believe them? It's not, do they have a bunch of great testimonials? It's, have they done this themselves? Have they done it repeatedly under different conditions? And does it make sense? And so it's a criteria we need to use when evaluating expertise that we want to bring into our business or into our lives. But it's also a criteria that people should use before they hang up a shingle and start selling. You know, am I believable in the first place? Yeah, sometimes people are, are creating this um, false reality with like, hey, this is who I want to become. And rather than, you know, starting a business first and creating a successful business for myself, I'm just going to skip over that part and become an expert teaching other people because I think it can make me more money. But inevitably, you know, it's going to fail. Inevitably, you're going to have people who are very unhappy with the result because as you explained so perfectly in this book, business never goes the way it's supposed to go. It's, it's never something that you can just read in a book. It's never just theory, right? And it's just like bodybuilding, man. Like theory is amazing. Theory is so valuable as far as starting to create a plan. But it's, it's you know, this idea of everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the, in the face. And that's business, man. Just like, in, just like in building your greatest body, you know, theory is amazing. But what happens when the rubber meets the road is, is uh, everything. Yeah. In my 
Uh, I'm curious about that. Like you bring up the analogy, which I love. Analogies is my way of understanding and making sense of things. What, so for you, what was the biggest one or two things from bodybuilding? You know, so I thought I was going to do X and then reality taught me why I had to do Y instead. Well, I mean, I've got thousands, I think, because, you know, the first one that was a massive eye opener for me that really kicked me in the face was I assumed that uh, once I got the process down, it would always be the same. And so when I did it in Canada, when I lived in Canada, um, I could pretty much replicate the same thing every year within reason and same relative, you know, calorie restriction, same relative cardio plan, same kind of ascension process to where like build to a certain amount of volume by 10 weeks out. Uh, at 10 weeks out, you start dropping calories a little bit. You start increasing cardio a little bit. By the time you're four weeks out, you're basically in shape and you're ready to go. And and I replicated that six to eight times in Canada and then went moved to the US. I was like, I'm going to do it again. Body responded completely differently. And, and like, okay, now you got to learn. I'm doing the exact same thing that I've always done and everything's changing and nothing's doing the same, responding the same way. So you have to learn to think on the fly and you get, okay, what's happening here? Why is this different? What's going on with my body? What's going on with my life? What's going on with my mind that's different? That was that was one example, you know. I mean, massive example. You know, one year some foods worked really, really well. Next year it's completely different. And that's, you know, a simple example. Or one year a small amount of cardio and I get absolutely shredded. And the next year it takes two hours of cardio and I'm barely getting in shape. And learning how, what, not only how to change it, but why. Why are these things happening? So that next year, you know, I can kind of reflect on it and say, okay, well, I know when, when this happened. This is why it happened. So I can make an intelligent shift and ultimately try to simplify this process. Because that's what it comes down to. Right? I want to make it the easiest process possible so I can ultimately be you know, closest to, the, well, I guess, the least amount of stress as I get closer into this ideal end result. Yeah, that's great. So those are two, those are two examples that come, come to mind. Yeah, those, that, those are awesome examples. And you know, I'm curious, did you have like a team of advisors helping you navigate that or was that you figuring it out on your own always? I had one or two guys who I saw as as great friends and people who I would confide in. So the two guys that come to mind, top of mind, are Bob Witherell, who you might know Bob from Canada. Yep. Um, Bob was a really great friend of mine who was always, I could always just trust Bob to be honest. And I think as a bodybuilder, you would also get that there's often a lot of people around you who just want to blow smoke, like tell you how good you are, tell you how great you look. And like, I don't want anyone to tell me that because I'm my own worst critic. You know, I, I can certainly see my flaws, but I needed somebody to be very honest with me. Like, hey, you're in shape, you're not in shape, you need to do this, you need to do this. So Bob was great for me for that. And then deeper into my career, Chad Nichols was a great um, advisor for me. So Chad, many people know him for training Ronnie and Flex and Chris Cormier and, and kind of the top guys in the 90s. And then he disappeared for a while. He trained his wife, Kim Chavesky, who was a five-time Miss Olympia trained Landon Murray. So I think he's got 19 Olympia wins. And uh, so Chad was a great advisor to me for like the last three weeks is you know, I trusted him to have a world-class eye ultimately, right? A world-class standard when I'm getting in shape, like, Hey dude, you're not there. You need to do this. Or Hey man, like you're, you're ready. You're on point. And when he said you're on point, your confidence soared. And I think that was important for me. Yeah, that's great. And speaking of believability, right? There's it's a good example of someone with high, high, high believability, right? But nevertheless, I, I mean, you know, as a fan of bodybuilding and, you know, someone who never even came close to your level, you know, but did compete nationally. I remember when people would criticize even his advice, you know, and again, just having this believability framework has been so useful to be like, oh, wait, okay, cool. And, and not the most believable people, people aren't always right, but what you need is a few of them. And then you have to wait 
and you know, and, and Ray talks about this also believability weighting of opinions, go get opinions from trusted resources. Sometimes multiple ones can be really helpful, but then believability weight their advice, right? And then that helps you make the best decisions. And that extends to business as well, right? Like, you know, Phil and I did a pretty good job with growing precision nutrition, but all along the way, we had folks who were advising and helping us do exactly what you're talking about. Hey, this, I thought this was going to work great. It didn't work at all. Okay. We need to change the plan. I mean, we keep doing what wasn't working, but then that's not a recipe for success here. And that's what we're after. So, okay. Iterate, iterate, iterate. Yeah. The ironic parallels between business and bodybuilding are are vast, I think, because in, in bodybuilding, you know, it seems business is the same. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone thinks their answer is right, and everyone's you know usually takes it personally if you don't use their their way or if you don't follow it exactly, and that's just the reality in, in bodybuilding. I think very few people actually have an idea of what they're doing. It's always just like you know you'll get this is like, hey man, you need to eat cheesecake the day before a show. Why? Well, because Flex Wheeler used to do it, and it worked for him, so you should do it too. And you're like, oh okay, and, and you know, I'm sure it's the same in business. Hey, you should build a content machine yeah, because totally. Precision Intention did it, and it works for them, so you should do it too. And you're like, but I'm not the same, and, and I'm not trying to. My body's different, and my business is different. And I think the ability to think through this is what's missing, both in fitness and in business. Is most people don't take the time. They won't take the time to read your book and do all these action steps so that they know who they are. They know their purpose. They know their values. And they can go, oh, oh that doesn't suit my values. I'm not going to do that. Do you know the story about grandma cutting her Thanksgiving turkey in half? No. Okay. So there's an old parable about you know a family preparing for Thanksgiving and the daughter of the family uh, asked mom, like, hey, mom, every year at Thanksgiving, you cut the turkey in half and put it in the oven that way. And she's like, why do we do it that way? And the mom's like, oh, because that makes the best Thanksgiving turkey. You know, it's a recipe handed down through generations in my family, and it's a really unique, special hack, right? And, she, and she's like, well, who'd you learn it from? Well, I learned it from, you know, my mom. So she goes to her grandma and asks her, and her grandma says the same story. And she's like, who'd you learn that from? She's like, well, my mom. So she goes to her great-grandma, and she asks her grandma why she started cooking the turkey that way. And she's like, oh, because when I first started doing Thanksgiving turkeys, I had a really small oven. We didn't have much money, and we couldn't fit a whole bird in there. So we just had to cut it in half. So that's why they were doing the Thanksgiving turkey. So people were stuffing the turkey nowadays in a huge oven with loads of space and still cutting it in half. So you have to be careful not to be that family, like inheriting the old traditions, just because we always did it that way. So it's really important to get to the heart of that. Is it, you know, Flex Wheeler, maybe Flex just loved cheesecake. You know, that was it. Maybe his coach said, well, you need to eat sweet potato. And he's like, nah, man, uh, forget that. I'm going to eat cheesecake instead. Right. And so it wasn't the best option at the time. And now we're doing it every year just because we saw one successful person do it. You know, it's a great uh, metaphor for figuring out decision making for everything. Yeah, John. One of my favorite parts of the book was you getting into one of the best examples that really shifted your perspective on clients. So you said you had one particular client who had an amazing transformation, and you asked if she was satisfied with the experience, and her answer was no, I'm not satisfied. So you reached out. You, you know, you had the foresight to reach out and ask, like, hey. And what was it that we weren't doing to your expectations? And she had a very unique response. I'd love for you to tell us about that because that this idea of you know most people having no idea what clients actually want. Most people just think, hey, they want a transformation. If I lose 10 pounds, it's a win. But in reality, going deeper on that, and most people want 
as you explained so eloquently in the book, maybe some very, very different things. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I remember this. What happened was this woman was posting all over socials. Say, you know, someone had asked, would you recommend precision nutrition? And she was like, adamantly, no, you know, I wouldn't. And so I was like, oh, wow, she must have had a terrible experience coaching with us. So I went and looked her up and I was like, wait a second, this woman in a year of coaching with us lost 50 pounds and we track everything from like, you know, uh, nutrition and fitness knowledge, pre and post coaching to uh, resiliency and a host of psychological markers and, you know, to a host of physiological markers and everything improved, like everything was banner improvement, like if she would have been someone who said, yeah, please use me as a testimonial, she would have been our golden child testimonial, right? And she's, she's running around the internet saying that we suck, you know, what's going on here? So like you said, I, you know, for years, we love talking to people like this. So we offered to pay them a hundred bucks and ask them a bunch of questions. And I wanted to dig in what didn't she like about the program. And really, I mean, what it boiled down to was that uh, she said something like, you know, the interesting thing was I, I didn't feel like I needed to use my coach consistently, but if I would have, I'm not sure my coach would have been helpful. You know, so it was this interesting thing where she was like, I was crushing it. I didn't actually need to use coaching as much as I thought I would have. But, and essentially this is my words, not her. I wanted a real relationship with someone, but I got an internet transaction and that's why I wouldn't recommend it. And so that was really eye-opening. And of course, the first few minutes, you're like, is this person totally crazy? You know, like, she didn't need the help. Like, and how does she know if she did need the help, the coach wouldn't have been there for her? Maybe the coach was just watching her crush it and was like, hey, we don't need to talk once a week. You're, you're in route to being a fantastic transformation, which is once a month. But it really highlighted this thing. And it's, it's one of the things that tripped me and the organization off to a process we started using called Jobs to be Done, which is comes out of Harvard Business School. Clay Christensen is the guy who sort of popularized it. The idea being that people are always hiring products and services for a particular job in their lives, and they're firing those products and services for not doing the job adequately. And if you are selling those products and services, you have to know what the job is. You know, in this case, lots of people were coming to us not to lose 50 pounds, but to lose 50 pounds and have a personal relationship with someone that they feel like is in their corner, that's supporting them, that's available, that cares about their progress. So in the early days, we maybe were doing a good job of the former, helping people lose weight and improve their blood markers, but not the latter. And so that really triggered a whole overhaul of our coaching software tools so that we could embed both, you know, results like the demonstrable, measurable ones, as well as relationship building things, you know, and and this was many moons ago, but there used to be an app that you could uh, layer into your software that allowed you at a glance to see key variables. And then we eventually built this ourselves, the platform ourselves. But like, for example, uh, imagine you have 100 clients and one of them just emails you randomly and you pride yourself on getting back quickly. And they're talking about struggling getting enough protein. And you're like, oh, we'll just eat more chicken, you know? And you've forgotten that this client is a plant-based eater and doesn't eat animal foods. Well, you just ruined that relationship. But with this tool, we were able to actually see what foods they prefer, 
their children and their pets' names, like really personal touches at a glance. So every time this person would email you, you would see these key things so you could answer from an informed place, right? You could ask them about their kids and you wouldn't say their kids' names wrong because it was built right in. So it was these kind of little touches that, you know, and it came from this. And again, in, in the book, I teach exactly how to do this kind of client research, but this jobs to be done process, like what are people actually hiring us for? And there's a bunch of different jobs they're hiring us for. You know, men may be different from women. Men in their 40s and 50s may be different from men in their 20s and 30s. So knowing the jobs and then tailoring the product and the marketing to those jobs, right? So this is what people actually want. They will say we've done a good job if we do that job for them. And they'll say we've done a bad job. And again, I think you know, whether it's years of being exposed to magazines, whether it's talking to clients and clients don't actually know what their deep reasons are, and maybe it's just the things that we as fitness coaches are interested in, which is like measurable, demonstrable, before and after testimonial style change. We just become blinded to the real deep reasons that, that people want transformation for. And you know the real human things, the human needs level type things. And they're not that difficult to deliver. But when you have a process for figuring out what they are, then you can deliver them. And it changes everything. Like when we learned jobs to be done and we, we did interviews and we started applying it, you know, our business grew 50% in a single year and we didn't really change much else. It was just this deep resonance that our work um, achieved with what people actually wanted to buy. And then even more importantly, we delivered it so that then they went and told everyone rather than this woman going out all over the internet saying, oh, I can't recommend this thing. People were going out and very proactively recommending it. You know, so it really was a game changer. And again, it really comes down to deep understanding of the job that people are hiring you to do. And the only way you get that is the same way you figure out your unique abilities, your values, your purpose. You have to ask people and you have to ask them very specific questions to get at these things. I think the this ties in beautifully with what we just finished talking about is this reality that many, many coaches and trainers out there don't actually care about the client. And, and I can hear in your in your voice and the choice of words like the, the sincere desire to help. And I think that's a necessary prerequisite for anyone who wants to be a coach or a trainer or someone who's helping somebody transform their life. And it's, the reality is there's probably 75%, and that's obviously a guess and very subjective, but a, a large percentage of the population of trainers, both in person and online, don't train people because they actually care about it and they want to help people. They train it because it's easy and it's an easy way to make money and or this, they think it's easy and they don't necessarily have that passion toward getting change. So they never ask the necessary questions. They never, you know, I call it just having your finger on the pulse, right? Every single person that comes in my gym, I can tell you their name. I can tell you their dog's name. I can usually tell you their spouse's name. And, uh, you know, I, I have a relatively good relationship. Obviously, when I'm on the road for a month, that changes. But when I'm here, I have a conversation with everybody because I actually care about their results. And that's a necessary prerequisite. And as I said, that ties back in perfectly with what you originally talked about in the career chapter is finding your purpose and your abilities and your values. 
Because if you don't value this stuff, you're, you're in the wrong business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, I had a really great chat with a guy. Uh, his name's Stuart McMillan, and he runs a company called Altus down here in Arizona. And Altus is really the premier track and field training place in the world. And Stu has trained a who's who list of Olympian sprinters and you know, bobsledders. You know, he's, he's really a legend in the speed game. And he recently read through Changemaker and he just commented how he's like, dude, before I read your book, I used to think we did different things. He's like, oh, JB does nutrition and he started in elite athletes, but he went general pop. And I'm really still in the elite athlete preparation world. And I always loved watching your success, but I never was envious of it because I thought what I was doing was different. And in some ways cooler, you know? And he's like, but after reading your book, I realize we are in the same exact business. We are in the helping people get what they want business. And so coaching an athlete to win the 100 meters at the Olympics is just a different tool of self-actualization, you know? But this is what our clients want too. There's a, just a group of people waving money saying, help me take away pain or move towards something great in my life. And often it's both. Help me move away pain and move towards something great in my life. And as a coach, that's what you're being hired to do. And so whether it's to help because they think a gold medal will help take pain away or make them special and elite, or whether it's losing 50 pounds, it's the same exact thing. Like we're in the same business. And I thought that was such a nice way to encapsulate it. Awesome, man. And coming back to the book, you have two amazing chapters, one on coaching and one on business. And I think the coaching chapter did such a great job talking about understanding people and how to get them you know, truly motivated and, and build strong relationships. Um, I'd love to have you just kind of talk about maybe some of the big points in that chapter. Um, I had massive takeaways on ultimately creating behavior change, which was I think, um, you know, very much missing in our industry. People are very focused on what I call the X's and O's of, you know, the, the mechanics of, of transformations. Like, hey, you need to be, be in a caloric deficit. And, hey, man, you need to do more cardio. And, hey, you need to train more. And, and they forget about, you know, actual the cognitive changes, the beliefs, the identities, and all those things are a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. And I even think, um, like, habit change, behavioral change, can become an X's and O's game also. And I think we have to start from a sort of a philosophy here. And I think my favorite part of the coaching chapter is really this two-pronged sort of two-tiered view of what we're here to do. And the first part is this idea of sort of client-centered versus coach-centered coaching. And then the second is awesomeness versus awfulness-based. I think everything springs from those. If you don't believe that you're here to do client-centered, awesomeness-based coaching, then none of the rest is going to work. And for me, it's so resonant because we have four young children at home and I have to do the same thing here as I do coaching clients, as I do working with team members. So maybe it shouldn't be called coaching. Maybe it should just be called being with humans, you know, yeah, because, totally. because that's what we're learning here, right? How to successfully and effectively be with humans. So really the idea for me in this chapter was let's start out with the notion of how most people come into fitness coaching and it's as coach centered. So my knowledge and the simple example is, let's say, you know, you Ben are in the gym and you're working out and uh, people don't know who you are. So you're at a public gym somewhere 
And some guy comes up and he's like, you are in phenomenal shape, man. I'm curious, like I'm trying to figure out a good post-workout routine for myself. What should I eat or drink after my workout? So a coach-centered coach would say, well, you know what? After your workout, your muscles are going to be depleted of glycogen. And uh, there's this uh, protein synthetic pathway that helps build muscles. So it's really important to get protein and carbohydrate, fast digesting into your muscles post-workout to help with repair and replenishment. So my recommendation would be protein and carb drink. Okay. So while that might be an accurate answer for some types of exercise, it's very coach-centered because it's about what you know. And you're just foisting that on the person. A client-centered coach might say something like this. Oh, thanks so much for the question, man. Before I tell you what I do or what I think, uh, I'd love to know what you're doing right now. Like, what are you having post-workout right now? What do you like to eat post-workout? So in other words, we're centering the experience on what the client is doing today what their personal preferences are, and then maybe we can bring that closer to what maybe would be optimal. Now, that's just a simple example, but it extends to all areas of all kinds of coaching and parenting and leadership in organizations. Now, are we making room for the felt reality and the personal preferences of the people who are coming to us for advice? If we're not, we're just doing coach-centered stuff where the coach is the sage on the stage. And it's not a coaching relationship. It's actually a lecture, right? So give me a podium and a microphone, stick an audience in front of me. I'll tell them what they should know and be eating. And then they go home without asking any questions or saying, hey, but that wouldn't work for me because I do shift work or whatever. So are you a sage on the stage or are you a guide on the side? And so that's what we're hoping to make the coaches of the industry. You know, there's, if you're a speaker, if you're a professor, and if the job is teach a large group in a non-interactive way, cool, go do that. There's nothing wrong with that in that context, but coaches aren't supposed to do that. That's not coaching. So our, you know, my mission, our mission at PN was to help the whole industry see this. How can we help people become more client-centered? So beginning with questions, asking more questions, integrating into the real authentic life of the person rather than just spouting out knowledge. And then the second part to that is this idea of awesomeness versus awfulness-based coaching. So we're trained in, in health and fitness and sport to some extent to find weaknesses and deficiencies, right? So we're looking for movement problems. We're looking for incorrect rotation at the hips. We're looking for nutritional deficiencies. We're looking for hormonal aberrations. We're looking for all the things broken with people so we can make a recommendation, a surgical strike to fix it and make them less broken. And while this it should be an important part of your approach, what we fail to do when we rep over and over again, it's like grooving a squat pattern, right? When it's always find the problem, find the problem, find the problem. It's almost impossible to not squat that way anymore, you know? Awesomeness-based coaching is the idea that the person standing in front of you waving those dollars often has those dollars for a reason. I can't remember how many times when I was a young 20-something where I had wealthy, successful clients in their 30s and 40s who I condescended against because they couldn't eat enough protein. I was like, look at this lazy, stupid, weak, unintelligent person who can't get their protein right. 
right? Meanwhile, this person had flown in to have this session with me on their private jet. You know what I mean? Like, this is silly. Young coaches in our industry thinking that just because this person doesn't have this one little teeny tiny area of life handled, they are weak and broken. They're awful, right? Awesomeness-based coaching says, hey, maybe they're not doing a good job with their food and their movement, but where in their life are they doing a great job? Like, how did they get that private jet, you know? Or how do they have such rich personal relationships? Or where are they deeply organized in their lives? And how can we use those skills and apply them to fitness and nutrition using analogies to teach, using scheduling to make it so? You know, so this is awesomeness-based coaching. Sure, you can find out if their hips twist the wrong way or rotate the wrong way, but also find out where they're crushing their life, where they're doing so well and figure out how to use those skills here. Help them see the path from there to here. And that's awesomeness-based coaching. So really, I mean, there's, there's lots of strategies and there's dialogue tips in the book, but it all begins with a worldview, really, which is, is the client the center or am I? Am I looking for their awesomeness or am I just pointing out their awfulness? And if you can become the kind of coach who starts with client-centered, awesomeness-based, the rest becomes intuitive. You kind of know the tactics when you start with the right view of the situation. Yeah, you do a great job describing goal setting as well, because I think most people get that process relatively wrong. Can you give us a little insight into that? Yeah. So, I mean, we've spent a lot of time at PN really figuring out this idea of, you know, goals aren't things you can do. It's an aspirational outcome that you want. So how do you get to a goal? Well, first of all, we don't necessarily set outcome goals. Like we can write down what you want the outcome to be, but then we look at behavior goals. Like what are the behaviors? Those are going to be your goals. Work out four times this week. That's not, that's the goal right there. It's not lose 20 pounds. And then we talk about mastery uh, goals. So what things, what parts of the process will we master? You know, and again, this isn't foisting it on the clients. It's usually sort of a collaborative process. You know, one of my favorite sayings that I talk about often in the book is, well, I think I have um, an idea on how we should proceed from here, but I'd love to know your thoughts first. You know, often people think it's soft when you let the client sort of direct their direction, their behaviors and the next few decisions in their coaching process. Well, that's soft. Uh, clients don't want me. They, they don't want to, if they knew what to do, they'd be doing it, right? They want me to tell them what to do. But that rarely works either. It works with a certain kind of person. So for me, it always comes back to you say the first part so they know that you're smart enough to have an approach. Hey, I have some ideas on what we should do next here. But before I tell you them, so that first part demonstrates competency. But then the second part demonstrates the need and desire to co-create an experience with them. So anyway, when it comes back to goals, the idea is you co-create a set of mastery goals and a set of behavior goals uh, that map to the outcome that they want. And it's a, it's a different thing. It uses language very differently. It puts the attention on things that they can actually control, you know, not on things that are sometimes outside of their control. And then really, and then what we do is we come up with a curriculum. 
right? And, and this is one of my favorite things that I've ever taught, really. It's the idea, if you imagine a blank sheet of paper and you write a outcome that you want to achieve at the top, you know, lose 20 pounds, whatever it might be. And then you start breaking that down like a flow chart into goals can't be accomplished on their own. You actually have to do stuff to get goals, right? And what do you need to do stuff? Well, you need skills, right? So if you had the skills, you'd be able to accomplish the goal. If you don't have the skills, it doesn't matter how bad you want it, you won't get it. So then we write down on the next line, a series of skills that would be required to achieve that outcome. And then under each skill, this is where it becomes a curriculum. We make a practice, right? So for the next two weeks, you will do X. And that maps to this new skill you have to build. And then, you know, that's what the precision nutrition coaching program became. It became a year long series of skill development broken down into two week chunks where every two weeks, a new practice comes in and those practices map to the skills. So give you example, the first phase of one uh, type of coaching program at precision nutrition is building the skill of appetite awareness right? If you don't have appetite awareness, it's really hard to control your caloric intake unless you weigh and measure everything for the rest of your life, right? So we want to build appetite awareness. Okay, that's great. But telling someone to be more aware of their appetite is like telling someone to be more mindful, right? It's great. Mindfulness is important. But if I knew how to do it, I'd already be doing it. I don't know how give me something to practice. So the first two practices are number one, it's slow down your eating, right? So for two weeks, we have people focus exclusively on taking longer to finish their meals, to slow down their eating. And then once they've gotten the slowing down part, then we layer in this stop eating at about 80% full. So we call it satisfied instead of stuffed. So over the course of a month, You've practiced for two weeks and then two weeks, slowing down your eating, because if you're eating too fast, you can't stop at 80% full. You'll eat past fullness before you even realize it. And then you start stopping at 80%. And then that gives you like an internal compass around controlling caloric intake. And that becomes the foundation. You do those things for two weeks successfully, and you've built the skill of appetite awareness. And so then we build a whole program out of that. Now, I do that for every aspect of my life. Every time I need to achieve or accomplish something, I sit down with someone who has expertise and I build out this flow chart. What are the skills I'm going to need to achieve my goal? What are the practices that I'm going to have to do? And now I have a curriculum. You know, I can build a three-month, six-month, 12-month curriculum for myself. And so this is how I think about tackling any big problem. And, and it's one of the best ways I've seen of, of doing it. It gives me a sense of control but it also gives me a deep understanding of what it's going to take at each stage of the journey and a real felt understanding that you don't just get lucky to achieve goals. You actually have to become a new person through the acquisition and accumulation of new skills. Okay, I can get that. I can unpack that. I can work with that. Do you have any thoughts on getting deeper on someone with their goals? An example being, hey, John, I want to lose 20 pounds of fat. But in reality, it's not what I want. Maybe it's, you know, I want to be happy. Maybe it's I want to create a stronger relationship. Is it just in having some predetermined process or is it, you know, some specific 
you know, cues you're looking for or questions you're asking? I know you get a lot of this stuff in the book, but I'd love for you to unpack it a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, you've, you're familiar with Toyota's five whys. And, and for those unfamiliar, it's become like a bit of a business parable where, you know, at uh, Toyota manufacturing facilities, you know, they, instead of being like, oh, there's a problem on the line or there's a problem in our business, it would be like, okay, cool, articulate the problem. Okay, well, why is that happening? Okay, cool. So you get a level one answer, right? And then you ask why again. Yeah, but why did that happen? That's a level two answer. And you ask five times and usually it takes around five times or it could be seven or it could be three. You know, there's, again, there's nothing magical about the number five here. But the idea being that the root cause of the problem is often tears below the measured problem, right? So we like to apply this in coaching as well. So someone tells you what their quote unquote goal is and a great uh, series of questions is the five whys. So you ask in a very curious and different way each time. So it doesn't just seem like Pollyanna-ish, but it's like, okay, cool. I want to lose 20 pounds. Well, why, why is that an important goal for you? I, I think, you know, lots of people want to lose weight. What makes that a personal goal for you? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe if I lose 20 pounds, like I'll feel, I'll feel lighter. Like I did when I was younger and I'll be able to do stuff physically. Oh, that's cool. That makes a lot of sense to me. Why is that important to you though? Like, why do you want to be able to do stuff physically? I mean, I I get that, you know, it's a thing that's really important in my life, but it doesn't seem like something that has been important in your life for a really long time. Why do you want to do that now? Well, you know, as I've gotten older, I've had children and I feel like I can't keep up with my kids anymore. And that's, and so you can see, you start really drilling down to maybe the root cause of why they came to see you in the first place. And I mean, yes, it's helpful so that you can trot that out from time to time as like a motivational tool, you know, like, Hey, remember why we're doing this, you know, not to lose 20 pounds, but it's so that you can spend quality time with your children or whatever you landed at. But even more importantly, it really sets the stage for how we'll go about it, right? Because you might have someone come in and say, I want to build muscles. I want to gain 20 pounds of muscle. And you find out that the root cause has to do with like personal confidence and going through the world, not scared of things. Well, they could probably achieve that without a hypertrophy program. (laughs) You know what I mean? So applying a hypertrophy program to the acquisition of muscles may not even solve the root problem in the first place, right? So, hey, maybe that maybe I need to give them a program that makes them feel athletic and they feels like they can crush the world, you know? And so then they didn't need to gain muscles to feel the way they wanted to feel. They just thought muscles would do it. But I, I when I got to the real reason, now I could really help coach them. I can coach the real thing. And we've had that happen many times let's say women in our coaching programs who've come in and wanted to lose weight because they thought that would be a marker for like control over their lives because they thought if they could control their body, they could control their lives. Well, it turns out they didn't have to lose much weight to feel that way. They just had to get a better handle on appetite and hunger and how to deal with those things when they were personally stressed out or when things in their lives were out of their control But now for the first time, they didn't have to turn to food as a solution for that. So once they got those things under control, they're like, hey, I was actually just happy with five pounds of weight loss. 
because we solved this other thing that was the real issue. So that's why I like the whys because it can help us change the coaching approach to solve the real problem rather than the surface level thing that they think is connected to solving the problem. That's so incredible. My favorite thing about your book, John, in general, is it's encouraging us to think. And I think in our society, there's so much doing, not enough being, and there's certainly not enough thinking. And this book is certainly one of the most thought-provoking, thought-encouraging books that I've read in a very long time. And I highly suggest that anyone listening go out and get this book, whether you're in the fitness industry or not. Diving into this book will optimize your self-identity, your career, your path, your values, like so much value. And like I said, man, I, I've listened to the audio and now I'm going to come back and actually read the hard copy because now that I'm looking through it, I'm seeing that there's all these, it's just written in a different way that I think really makes it tangible. So anybody out there, you know, the audio book is amazing. John reads it himself, but um, I highly suggest you get the written copy as well. I know a lot of people choose for Audible just because it's time, time efficient, but I think this is one where maybe you get both. Um, I think go and get, get the hard copy as well. And although you do provide the resources online. Yeah. My recommendation is my favorite way I've seen people handle the book is to either listen to it once or read it once quickly through and then go back and read it again with an eye on doing the exercises because it really is a workbook. And so what I've seen go wrong for people is that they go through it slowly and they're like, oh, I, I'm going to do every exercise because that's the right way to consume this book, quote unquote, right way, right? And then they get hung up on an exercise and they don't move forward. And then they get stuck at chapter two and they never finish it when chapter five is what they needed most. So they've never even been exposed to any of it, not even in a cursory read. So I was like, oh man, and this happened with a friend of mine. He's like, oh man, I got stuck at this one exercise in the career section. And I'm like, dude, you should have never even been doing the career section. You should have been doing chapter five, damn it. So this is my advice to everyone now, you know, either listen or do a quick, quick read through it, not doing the exercises, and then go back and do the exercises in the chapters that you need now most in your life so that you can be exposed to everything once at least. And then you can do the, the deeper dive into the things that are most relevant. I think hearing it in your voice and hearing your expression on certain things was super helpful. It really allowed the, the lessons to sink in. And then I think going back, for me anyways, going back and doing the tangible tasks now, the workbook is going to be a really, really great compliment. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. And uh, you know, making the audiobook too was really fun because as you listen, like there's little cameos from our daughter and from some friends who I talk about in the book. It was really, really fun to just gather all the people I love together and go into the studio in Toronto and lay down the audio for this book in a bit of a personal way. And changemaker.com or is it Changemaker Academy? Changemaker Academy, yeah. And folks can grab it on Amazon or wherever they buy books. But yeah, at Changemaker Academy, we have a whole bunch of downloadable stuff from the book as well. So all the worksheets, fillable, printable. We've got all the, you know, when I wrote this book, I wanted to put everything I knew into it. So when I was done with that and we edited it, the publishing team was like, this is a great book and it'll be a thousand pages. So we need to cut some stuff out. So there were FAQs at the end of each chapter that I thought really were insightful and, and answered things people commonly ask. Uh, and they had to go out of the book. So those are available on the site as well for download. It's actually, it's a, I'm going to do a goofy name dropping thing here, but it just happened. So uh, one of my good friends, Chad Waterbury, trains Toby McGuire 
So Toby is just a personal development junkie and he does tons of reading and stuff. So he actually got my book and he printed out all the FAQs and worksheets and all that stuff and had them bound at like a local print shop so that it was like reading a book with two workbooks alongside of it. And I was like, oh, that's really genius. That's a cool way to do it. I'm going to tell everyone to do that from now on. Yeah, that'd be a great adjunct resource for you guys to offer online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. John, I can't tell you how grateful I am for you making the time uh, first to chat with me and our listeners and obviously for writing this book. I think it's going to make an impact on this fitness industry, which is sure your purpose and mine as well. So thank you so much for what you do. Thanks, Ben. And I really appreciate you just personally, your friendship. I also really appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about this work uh, with all of your listeners. I know people come to you for all kinds of reasons from getting in shape to muscle building, to business lessons, to life lessons. So I don't take it lightly that you're willing to share this with them. It really does mean a lot to me. Thank you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you so much for tuning into the Muscle Intelligence Podcast, where we frame this podcast around living your greatest life in the body you love. And we talk about the six pillars of a lean, healthy, and muscular physique. And one of the big pillars that I don't go into all that often is your environment. And your environment is inclusive of light and air and sound and EMF and people. And John today on this podcast talked a lot about people and a lot about you know, the people you surround yourself with, both in business and in your personal life, and how you can begin to curate that and how you can begin to allow that to impact your life, both in a positive way and a negative way. And John's amazing book, Change Maker, goes into chapters on how to create an opportunity for yourself. People in this fitness industry think that it's a red ocean and ultimately often is, meaning everyone's kind of chasing after the same thing. And learning to create your own opportunities is valuable. John talks about career, clients, coaching, business, reputation, education, and so many things that are imperative to allowing you to thrive, live your greatest life, and ultimately live your dharma, as I will say your dharma, as John will say, maybe your purpose. And I think both the same thing, ultimately. Uh, thank you so much to John Perardi. I highly suggest, I mean, I couldn't give it a more high recommendation. Just go out and get Changemaker. Read this book cover to cover. Um, as I said during the podcast, the way I read it, I listened to the audiobook. And just because it's John giving you his, his stories, his metaphors, and his energy, it's a great listen. And then going back and reading through the book as a hard copy would be the way I suggest doing it. If you do do it, I would love to discuss with you. Jump into the Facebook group, the Muscle Intelligence Facebook group, and let me know what you thought. I'd love to create a discussion board there where we can discuss all of the books that are recommended on the show and all the ones that I read and I recommend on social. So if you're not already a member of the Muscle Intelligence Facebook community, go ahead and jump in there. And we discuss everything from training to nutrition to mindset optimization, really anything. Nothing's really off the table as far as optimizing body, mind, and life. Today's podcast, again, is brought to you guys by Blue Blocks. So head over to bluebox.com slash muscle intelligence. Use the code code muscle and you get 15% off. Thank you very much to Blue Blocks. And thank you very much to you for being here, giving me your time, your ear, and truly, truly grateful for what I do and be able to interview amazing gentlemen like John Berardi. Have an amazing day. Live your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.